if you want to truly have a CEO mindset, you can't work in your business. You have to work on your business. Mm -hmm. If you're working in your business, you've already lost. Think of your daily functions of, you know, I need to do, I, I need to do it or it's something I must do and I must do now. It's something I can do or I must do later. So from a timing perspective or something I can outsource. And I think the best CEOs on the planet, mm -hmm. they, they understand how to delegate and outsource magnificently, right? Yeah. Because they know in order to get the whole ecosystem moving forward toward the same common goal, they can't themselves go, you know, uh, you know, if you're building and, and reconstructing a home, you can't paint the walls, you can't hang the pictures. You, like there's some things maybe that are a couple minutes of your time that you can do, but you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for any company that you're building. Everybody, that was Justin Nimmergood. And this is the Brendan Carr Podcast. Today, my guest is Justin Nimmergood. Justin is the author of Entrepreneurship, Changing Business Culture from the Inside Out. And today we talk about work. We talk about work-life balance. We talk about how to find joy in work and how to look into projects and opportunities that would make your work more exciting and how to make them part of your organization. So if you're someone who works in an organization, you've got ideas, and you're looking for a way to bring them to life, this one's for you. What got you started working at the age of 11? <laughs> uh, well, Brendan, great question. And, and again, I just want to say thank you for, for having me on today, uh, having followed some of your, your work. Uh, really, really love what you're doing in terms of the content, the quality content you're putting out there. So thanks again. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Thank I, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be on today. So, you know, when, when I think about, you know, 11 years old, right, uh, growing up at that time, I was in uh, South Lake, Texas, a little suburb outside of Dallas. And, you know, I was raised with a very, uh, how should I say, strict, strict parents. Uh, at least my father was quite strict. Uh, mother, she's much more of a free spirit, right? I like to, to share with people that haven't met them before. It's like if you've ever seen the movie Meet the Fockers, <laughs> my dad is kind of like me, you know, Robert De Niro, and my mom is uh, uh, kind of like Barbara Streisand. Right? <laughs> so that'll give you a quick picture into my life, you know, growing up, right? Mother very open, you know, but dad very stern. And, and from a business perspective and from a work ethic perspective, I definitely – got most of that and, and most of those characteristics and that pedigree from my father, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, he worked most of his life. And, and again, you know, for those of you that have or will check out my book, you'll you'll learn a little bit more about it. But he, he was forced to grow up real fast, right? Um, age of 16, his father died of a, um, you know, basically a stroke or, or actually an accident from a stroke, I should say. Mm. And that made him grow up real fast. And so he, he quickly ascended into the man of the house. Now let's tie that back to, to my job at 11 uh, as an umpire, by the way, which was my first job. Oh. I grew up with this sense of work ethic, right? You know, watching my father, you know, day in and day out uh, or week in and week out, because oftentimes he'd be on the road traveling all over the, the, the world. Just the dedication and the persistence that he had to provide for myself, for our family, to provide a, a quality of life for us was just something to be admired, right? Mm. So you watch that, you know, as a young child and, and you eventually reach a point where you're like, you know what, I, I need to start learning the ropes too. 
And I grew up playing sports, pretty much every sport at some point in time or another. And there was uh, an umpiring session at the local uh, baseball fields. And it was one of the only jobs where you could get paid. uh, You could get paid. uh, And it was basically cash and check at that time um, as an 11 year old. Right. Um, and, and, and where it's like, Hey, we're not, you know, affecting any child labor laws or whatever here. Um, but it was, it was good quality, not only fun, but a great learning experience and a great, I would say entry into work ethic. Right. So Mm -hmm. that was my first job. And I actually did that for, I don't know, probably three or four years until my next job where I actually got into the sort of the W2 world as a real payroll employee by then. Um, and, and truly ever since then, I have always had some source of income, you know, whether I, I look at, um, shortly after the umpiring, probably a couple years later, I got into golf and, um, you know, my, my parents were like, Hey, you know, golf's an expensive sport, son. We want to obviously, uh, we want you to play the sport. We, we can tell you love it, you know, cause I took up golf at the same time as I, I started working, but you know, it's just not a sport that we can readily afford to buy you everything that you want. I mean, it's an expensive sport, but you know what, if you go out and you make some money for it, you know, you can, you can buy some of your own clubs. Yeah. Then maybe they maybe have some there. So it was sort of a motivation. I would say Brendan to Hey, I had a, a great role model in my father and my mother, you know, as far as work ethic, the d- desire to have disposable income to pay for some things at a young age that I was really truly interested in. Um, and just, just growth, right. You know, I yeah. think, uh, you would agree a lot of the people that I see that come on your podcast and, and then, um, you know, I tend to interact with, you know, come from a place of growth and contribution. And, mm-hmm. and that was certainly the case for me too. Mm-hmm. So then in, in this journey, like you said, you've, you've always had some sort of source of income. So you've seen so many business cultures. What does business culture mean to you? I know it's something you talk about a lot, but I wonder, what is your definition? You know, I'm reminded of a story. Uh, you know, I'm I'm now, let's fast forward a little bit. I'm 16 years old now, just just learning how to drive, right? Uh, <laughs> I finally have my driver's license, I should say. And, and um, you know, I, I got a job at a retail golf store, right? And, and I'll never forget the conversation I had with, you know, my, my then manager. And he said, Hey, you know what? I'm never going to ask something of you that I'm not willing to do myself. So what, Mm -hmm. what do I mean by that? I mean that business culture is, it's really starts from the inside out and it's, and it, and and it it starts from top down, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're leading a company, you have to be willing to do all the things that any employee in that company would do, you know, um, again, perfect example from that experience, right? Uh, taking out the trash, right? Yeah. And it was just filled with, you know, uh, golf grips and mineral spirits and it. It smelled like shit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it smelled like shit. But you know what? You do it. You do it because you love your business and, and, and your business is like your baby. And as part of that, you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and get dirty. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that is that is sort of the essence of a good business culture is one that is led by individuals who have a vision, have a plan, um, and aren't, don't put themselves up on a pedestal. Like they're not willing to do things that 
you know, maybe some of the individual contributors or, or the, you know, the janitor, the chief janitor would be wanting to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I literally have seen it all and done it all in my, my uh, career, you know, or certainly ever since I started working. And so that's what I mean by that, Brendan, is, is yeah. I think, you know, sometimes we get jaded by that. And it's really important to set the tone of a culture where if you're starting a business or if you're trying to get to the next level, you have to be able to, you know, re- reach down, reach out, reach up, and and affect all facets of that organization. Mm-hmm. How did how did you get so interested in the topic that you wanted to put so much time and energy into it and write a book about it and and all of that? When I think it's something that still a lot of people forget. Yeah, well, it, it was two main things that were major. I would call them uh, inflection points in my life that mm-hmm. were catalysts for me to want to write a book, right? So the first one was, again, pedigree, the upbringing, watching my my father, by and large, my mother too, but again, my father, you know, as a corporate employee, or as he used to call himself, a corporate slave, yeah. you know, just, just grinding himself into the grindstone mm-hmm. day in and day out, year in and year out, and, and eventually, you know, I saw the burnout on him, but he kept persisting. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way, right? Mm-hmm. Now, funny thing is, right, I ended up doing the same thing myself when I was at <laughs> Cisco Systems, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know this, having read my book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you follow you, you follow the leader, right? Or you follow what uh, your role models are. And after, after, you know, spending some time in corporate myself, I, and being in it myself, not just watching someone else do, but being in it myself, I was so uh, passionate about helping others that might've felt the same way I did. And I knew I wasn't the only one, right? Corporate burnout um, is a very big thing these days, right? Oh, yeah. And not just corporate, just, just job, it was called work burnout, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of, of needing work-life balance is not there. If you think about it, you know, most employees, and again, I'm talking your typical W-2 employees that aren't running their own business, they are asked to do more than they have ever been asked to do ever in history. Hmm. And, and, and it's because they're trying to appease the, the, the leaders that are likely probably trying to appease shareholders to maximize profit, which means they're just being squeezed, right? It's like an orange juice. Every last drop of orange juice is getting squeezed out of their life or, you know, their, their soul, right? And so, again, having seen that, having been a part of it, I, I knew that I was destined, right? And and I had to do something about it, right? Because you can either be a, you know, spectator on the sideline and, and just, you know, be okay with it, or you can be an action taker, and I'm definitely an action taker. So, All right. um I decided to, to, you know, sit down and start writing my book, which I did in uh, April of 2014. Um, literally, by the way, left my job at Cisco at the time. Had I, and I don't recommend this for you. So any of you <laughs> that that do come to me for for coaching, I coach much differently than I did myself. But it was a great <laughs> learning lesson. And that's part of it. I left with not too, you know, much of a, uh, a true, uh, I'd call it story arc or game plan, right? Long-term game plan mm-hmm. and, and all the milestones in between. Now, you know, I figured all that out or at least a lot of it. I can't say all of it. And, and when I work with people, um, 
you know, I'm able to help guide them as a Sherpa through that process. Uh, so they don't have to hit their head as much as I did along the way. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I started writing in April, 2014, uh, published the book, uh, by October. So, you know, not, not too bad there, you know, pretty quick turnaround. And I knew it, if there was one thing I could do, Brendan, it was to leave a legacy and, mm. you know, writing your story, uh, being an author of your own story, you know, to me is one of the greatest ways we can do that in our lifetime. Yeah. There's something so powerful in, in things that, that stick around like a book and the written word. And you, you said that this was an extension of your personality, extension of you being an action taker. What makes you an action taker? How did that come to be? Well, it's it's moving through, you know, as they call it, the the chasm of fire, mm-hmm. where you're you're um, in limbo or you're reluctant to to make a change, mm-hmm. and just going for it, right? Some call it a leap of faith. Some call it taking massive action. I've, you know, all the Tony Robbins uh, followers and and constituents out there would certainly kind of uh, follow that that path or that thought process, but. It's really just about getting out there and doing something about it, not just sitting again, sitting idly or passively, but actually doing something. And again, maybe it's not a book for someone. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's going out and aligning yourself with certain organizations and becoming a leader within certain organizations. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's volunteering right with certain nonprofits. But the point is, if you see that something's wrong, it is our duty. It is our absolute duty as human beings to do something about it. Right. Just just mm-hmm. last week, I was in um, Austin, Texas. I was at a, uh, a very large technology conference. And, you know, there was a gentleman uh, that was on, you know, on the side of the street. Uh, you know, I was with one of my you know, partners in this particular venture. And, you know, we're walking to the next event and there's a gentleman on the side of the street and he's asking, hey, can I wash your your clothes and, and your your badges and stuff like that. He's, he's a homeless gentleman, right? Clearly. Mm-hmm. And we stopped and we talked to him for a little bit and like, Hey, you know, how can, how can we help you? Right. And so I think part of that is, is taking it from, you know, why or ignoring people like that or ignoring situations like that. And you just walk past them and actually taking action where, you know, in this particular case, it's like, Hey, you know, what, what are you trying to do? He's like, I want, I'm trying to clean up my life, you know, and, and listen, Pass no judgment. Okay, well, let's let's go get you some clothes, right? So, mm. we we took him. We we um we, luckily there was kind of like a goodwill um, Salvation Army location nearby, um and you know helped him get some fresh clothes. Wow. Which you know hopefully he used again. I wasn't there in Austin long enough to you know sit through his interview or whatever, but I feel good knowing in my heart that I helped contribute to perhaps his recovery, you know, restoral and recovery, right, wow. toward a better life. Yeah. What, what examples did, do you have to, to draw on from to, uh, to take this sort of action? That's, that's not a typical reaction. You know, uh, people that have done the same for me, you know, wow. I was in a very low place in my life. I've been, you know, several times uh, throughout my life. And it's just recognizing others that have been there for me. Right. And as mm-hmm. they say, pay it forward. That's, uh-huh. it's real, right. Karma, you know, what goes around comes around and to pay it forward. I'm, I'm a big proponent of both of those items. Mm-hmm. I can remember in April, 
so shortly after I started um, my business, which, uh, by the way, we just celebrated with uh, a couple weeks ago our official five-year anniversary of being incorporated. So pretty wow, proud congratulations. of that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so shortly after, uh, you know, I started and launched it and, and was, you know, going with it, you know, I was having some challenges of my own, right? Uh, and I was married uh, once before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and you know what? Things didn't work out, and I, I won't slander her name or whatever, but things didn't work out. We just weren't aligned on several facets of life. Um, but as we ended that relationship, she, I basically, in order to end that relationship in a, I would call it a timely manner so that I could move forward with my life, I had to incur a, a pretty, you know, fair amount of, uh, of debt load, let's call it, okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, I made a, you know, uh, decision at that juncture in time. I said, okay, well, you know, I can either keep doing what I'm doing and, and, you know, keep racking up debt. So that was like option A. Mm-hmm. I can, um, you know, ask for more loans from, you know, friends and family or whatever, you know, to help cover, you know, what's going on. Or I can just roll up my sleeves. I can get back to work for, you know, let's say maybe a year, you know, dig myself out of this this hole mm-hmm. with the intentionality that I'm going to get back to what I'm really passionate about, which is, again, you know, helping others from more of that entrepreneurial um, uh, state of mind um, within a year. And that's exactly what I did, actually, Brendan. So wow. um, I, it was in April, actually, April of 2016. I, I can remember I was sitting outside a, a Starbucks. It was a rain. It was a rainy day, abnormally rainy day here in um, Orange County. Uh, I was in Orange County that day, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sitting outside of Starbucks on the bench, and things are going really bad with uh, my my then job at the time. And I'll leave them nameless because again, I don't want to you know speak ill will of of uh, individuals or companies and, and, you know, this, this gentleman, um, and his name's RJ and he's been one of my, I would say rocks, you know, since moving out to California, fitness trainer extraordinaire and just positive spirit. I mean, you can't be around the guy without him (laughs) just lifting your mood and lifting your spirit. I'm sure you have people like that in your life too. A couple. Yeah. I'm very grateful for them. Yeah, they're just those kind of people. They walk into the room and they light up the room. Yeah. And RJ noticed, and I had known RJ for for several years at this point. He noticed me and he could tell I was down. He came down, he sat next to me, put his arm around me and just, hey, hey, brother, what's going on? I said, RJ, stuff's not good, man. Um, I'm I'm lost. I'm lost and I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I'm being authentic to who I am. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. Um the job is just falling apart right now. Cause you know, I'm overworked and underpaid. Like mm. it's all bad. Right. Mm. Which was probably not true. Right. I was probably over revving on that, but it's felt bad. Right. Yeah. says, okay, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> and he puts his arm, he's like, Hey, we're going to get on a workup plan for the next, I think it was like eight weeks. Right. Mm. He's like, you commit to me that you work out with me. You know, first thing in the morning, and two to three times a week for the next eight weeks, and that you you go to church with me for for the next eight weeks, 
and, and basically like you're off the hook. And really what he was doing is he was trying to install a new positive spirit in me again, mm-hmm. right? Something new and fresh. He said, okay, all right. Um, okay. I said, well, what, what, what the heck? I mean, what else are the options? I don't want to continue being in this depressed state. So I, I did. And, and literally my whole life started to change again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I, I essentially covertly, uh, that month in April, kind of pre-launched, uh, pre, I would say pre-relaunched, excuse me, my business again, like getting everything lined up. Hey, I'm going to be getting back into my, you know, launching my business or relaunching my business again. And by that summer, I had signed uh, the largest deal of my career in wow. terms of, um, you know, just the agreement amount and what it was going to be paying out. I mean, I was literally with this one deal making probably easily three times, uh, two to three times what I typically made on my best year in my best income years. Mm, wow. And, and it all happened within a matter of months. Yeah. It's incredible uh, how, you know, stories, so many stories start with people who pick a habit, especially something physical and they see that physical change and it seems to just kind of set off a chain of events in them that, that really gets the ball rolling. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Brendan, and 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 um, part of that was a physical habit that I was reinstalling or, or installing into my life again. Mm-hmm. The other piece of that that I I had decided on was to um, take the journey of sobriety as well, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So you couple, you know, a sober state of living with positive da- daily habits and affirmations, and all of a sudden you've got just this. I don't want to call it magical because that's not the right word, but you've got this uh, multiplier effect that's just in your favor mm-hmm. in life. And, and I'm confident, uh, 100% confident that if it wasn't for those items all in play, I wouldn't be where I am today. Wow. Right? I wouldn't have had some of the successes. And, and, and yeah, I had some failures and, and some you know, false starts and whatnot, but I'm very blessed and very fortunate to you know be where I am today. So. Yeah. You know, that was a big piece of it, though, right, mm-hmm. is, is having those moments where you decide to take action. You you change everything about it. Again, you know, for those out there that follow, you know, Tony Robbins or some of the other great coaches in, in the world, you know, it's you're rewiring yourself. You're saying, hey, I refuse to accept or tolerate this feeling, this behavior anymore, and I'm going to change everything about me. Uh, or, or a lot about me in order to not feel like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it now. Yeah. Like I'm going to do it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that movement, that getting things going, you know, whatever it is in life, it, it seems to just get like a freight train running. It, it just picks up steam once you start with, with a lot of stuff like that. And something that you had mentioned specifically was that you wanted to help people build their entrepreneurial mindset. So would that be, is that kind of the heart of what you're talking about in your book, the entrepreneuring? Yeah. So, so let me clarify that. And I, and thank you for, for tying that in uh, to this discussion today, because to me, there's, there's this group of people out there in the world mm-hmm. that are inside of corporate jobs, to, inside of corporate companies today, they're working corporate jobs today. And they have this like innate desire to do something more to do something different, they have a greater purpose, they know it, but they're not sure how to do it. Yeah. 
And, and my guidance, and this is part of why I wrote the book, was I was writing the book for people like me that mm-hmm. currently exist inside of those organizations today. And they need that inspiration. They need that, that blueprint, if you will, on how to cross that chasm of fire and move through that fear and, and start something and start something that's their own. And maybe they started on the side mm-hmm. while they're currently working their job. But, but the vision is, hey, I want own and run and lead my own business or co-lead you know, my own business, something that's mine one day. Mm-hmm. And so that's who we're really speaking to. And sometimes, by the way, if a company is smart, you know, Google has done this, Amazon has done this, you know, a lot of the other great uh, Apple has done this in their own way. Companies that are really, really smart today, they know this is taking place. Yeah. And they're actually they're, they're fostering those individuals within those organizations. They're not denouncing their creativity or their um, their time to spend uh, outside of, you know, their current corporate environment. They're encouraging it, right? I know, like Apple has their net time. Uh, Google has Skunk Works projects, yeah, right. Um, you know, which I talk about in my book, where employees are encouraged to work on projects and ideas and innovation outside of of your current um, corporate context. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that gets the juices flowing, and then you realize, okay, you know what? I have a passion for this, and I'm good at this. And I could start a business with this. So that's that's really who we're speaking to. The entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs that are, are covertly within, you know, a, a lot of these corporate uh, companies today. Yeah. I had an, another guest on the podcast. His name's uh, Steve Glaveski, and he runs an innovation accelerator. And he said that there there's real research that's been done that shows that employee satisfaction goes up dramatically and overall life satisfaction goes up when people are able to exercise those creative things in the job. They, they like their job better. They like coming to work better. Or if they have a side hustle, it's, it makes work more satisfying for them. It, it's a big change in people's lives. That, that's absolutely true. And, and um, you know, to parlay that, you know, Daniel Pink also did uh, a study on, on pay, right, on how pay equates to employee Mm -hmm. and life satisfaction inside of those those companies and what he found is that you can you can pay employees uh, a certain amount like they need to be paid a certain amount in order to feel valuable right appreciated Mm -hmm. but beyond that you could literally pay them 100 grand 200 grand more and it wouldn't matter because Mm -hmm. that's not going to affect their satisfaction or life satisfaction anymore like there's a certain threshold past yeah. that, and then it pivots more to the internal, um, uh, the internal, uh, or I'm sorry, excuse me, intrinsic factors that are going to be uh, the greater motivators mm-hmm. for for them, right, for satisfaction. Totally. So, um, yeah, it's really fascinating information out there. And, and again, you know, for any of you that are either looking to launch, grow, or uh, a business for the first time, or you're inside of an organization. You know, and you're currently experiencing any of these things that we're talking about. I would strongly encourage you to to find outlets to explore these avenues to keep your your you know keep your passion, keep that fire alive, and keep it well, right? Because that's mm-hmm. again, you know that that is what we were designed, you know, by God to do on this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think of the the way that most people approach their jobs, and the, there's there's no sense that the the typical. Um, attitude of, well, this is, you know, something I just have to do is really promoting any sort of human flourishing. I wonder, Justin, how 
do you exercise this now? You have your own business and, and you work in an organization. How do you put it to work in the organization? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's balance. And, and by the way, this is probably of the things that, that I talk about in the book and, and that I'll talk to others about. This is the thing that I probably struggle with most hmm. because I am so passionate about helping people that it's hard to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I, you know, I'll sometimes wake up at, you know, two in the morning and I come up with an idea that's going to, you know, help accelerate growth of revenue for a company and and i get up and i pop out of bed and i'll write it down right mm-hmm. so that urge still exists for me but i would encourage others to you know a create daily uh routines right okay. not routines that are so structured that you can't be flexible from them but i'll give you an example like hey so one of my daily routines is i'll wake up i'll um you know, I'll read from the, the Bible or read some something from, you know, a Bible app and, you know, passages, right? So it's some, some spiritual, you know, reading, if you will. Mm-hmm. Then I, the next thing I do is I'll usually take a morning walk and I'll listen to personal development while I'm walking. That seems to get my juices flowing, right, for the day. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of, you know, morning personal development. So you're starting, now you started your day off with you're stacking things. You're stacking your positive spiritual development, positive personal development, right? So you're, it's a stacking effect. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the time, you know, I'm ready to, to kind of hammer out work or, or whatever you want to classify that as for the day, you've stacked your, your energy, you're stacked your, uh, this compounding effect of who you are so high that it's, it's just a, a magnetic, right? Okay. Uh, for those around you. So, how you start your day is essential. Um, you know, I fill in my day with productive meetings. Uh, you know, so I'm not big on taking meetings. Like, like someone said to me, Hey, you know, can can I just grab coffee with you? Well, it's like, I'm sorry, but my, my time is a little bit more, more valuable than than a cup of coffee. Like, Mm. what are you hoping to gain out of it? So, and I don't say that to be arrogant. I say that as a, a learning and teaching lesson from someone that has been on the other side that used right. to ask mentors of mine for a cup of coffee. It's like, show me what you're doing. Come to me and say, hey, I've done all these things that I followed your journey and, and or, or similar journeys to you. And I would love to pick your brain about this specific or these specific items. Mm-hmm. Great. I will give those people my time all the time. Right. Yeah. It shows but intention. It's the people that, yeah. It shows intentionality. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you probably feel the same because I'm sure you get hit up a lot for, hey, you know, can I can I do this or can I do that? Can I hop on your podcast? Like, well, for what purpose? Right. We even had that dialogue early on, you know, and just setting this all up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that about you. Oh, well, thank you. you. And likewise, to, likewise. You know, make sure that you have the right guests that are on here for the right reason. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you know, it's setting up uh, allocation of daily, um, uh, positive daily habits, you know, the right, I would call them productive, uh, you know, uh, allocated time slots. So, uh, meetings, uh, like lunch meetings are extremely valuable to me, right? So I don't like taking up lunch meetings with, um, you know, Hey, uh, I just want to go kick it. It's like, no, a lunch meeting to me is, you know, I want to go take a potential client prospect or, mm-hmm. or a current client to lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's a productive lunch meeting. 
And then you're filling in your afternoon with, you know, um, again, because we're on Pacific time zone, but if I'm on the Eastern and it would be adjusted, you know, your touch points via phone with people, right? Making sure that you're keeping that social currency alive, which is a real thing, by the way. So that vibratory currency of, hey, I'm talking to people. I call it dialing for dollars, but that's a little bit too Wolf of Wall Street-ish, you know. But what I really mean is just you're, you're creating that that buzz, that social current mm-hmm. through your network of who you know, again, personal and business. And, and it's keeping that, you know, um, uplifting effect moving. And then, you know, afternoon, late afternoon, I like to uh, work out or do something physical, you know, just, just to kind of pivot my mindset and keep the blood flowing. And also by that time, you you know, I'm kind of usually burnt out on straight work or, you know, work activities, you know, have yeah. some dinner, spend some family time together, you know, read again, uh, uh, read, you know, again, invest more in personal development in the evening, maybe, you know, an hour of TV max, not really big on TV. And by the way, TV is like, Hey, something that just keeps me current with society, let's call yeah. it. <laughs> And then, uh, and then go to bed and you wake up early and you do it all again. Mm -hmm. And then being really, uh, prescriptive that weekend time is weekend time, you know, and again, admitting my own faults here, um, working all the time nonstop is not healthy. You know, I, as someone that works like seven days a week, you know, for years, that is not productive. Mm. Um, find time for your family, at least one day where you can just kind of disconnect you know, there's a great book out right now, How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's a quick read, <laughs> you know, How to Break Up with Your Phone. Sounds great. <laughs> like, and that's really the moments when we can be most present with mm-hmm. those around us, you know, the the loved ones, the family members. So to me, I really reserve weekend time, you know, for family, friends, and, and yeah, maybe there's a little bit of business thought and planning to it, but it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's what helps keep a healthy, stable, productive and uplifting life. Mm-hmm. You know, being vulnerable, first of all, isn't very easy, but it's something that I've found over, over the years is, is necessary in order to grow and grow from who we are into to what we want to continue to aspire to be, you know, after going through quite a trying time and, and obviously a failed marriage, um, which, you know, again, is, is a personal, uh, story of mine. You know, I'm happy to say that um, shortly after, you know, filing for separation and going through the divorce proceedings and whatnot, I met, you know, the my soulmate, the love of my life. Uh, her name is Naomi. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and Naomi and I have now uh, been together in a relationship for three years now, or it'll be soon to be three years now this summer, uh, June 25th. And... Um, we have a bulldog named Nala. She's our <laughs> fur baby. She's an old English, old English bulldog. And, um, you know, I'm just excited because it's nice to be aligned with someone um, at all facets of life, not just from a, a soul perspective, but from a business perspective, uh, from a life goal perspective, you name it. You know, virtually from the moment I met Naomi, um, I knew. I knew there was something special about her. I'm not going to go as far to say that it was love at first sight or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I will say there was a, a magnetic attraction that we had to one another. And as we began to learn more about one another and grow in our relationship, it became quite apparent that 
what we had was special and that what we had was worth fighting for. And so while our relationship has not been perfect by all, again, all stretches of the imagination, it's one that I, we're both excited about. We're both um, growing from and, and, and both constantly evolving with to um, you know, grow together. Right? And I think, you know, other than being a great entrepreneur and leading, leading businesses, which is great. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I, obviously we spend most of the, the podcast talking about, you know, the business aspect and, and how to be a good leader and an entrepreneur and what whatnot. All the wealth in the world, I, I would trade it all um, if it meant, you know, being able to at least share life's great moments, quality time with the ones I love. Mm. So, Justin, I, I have a selfish question. You talked in your book about adopting a CEO mindset, and this is mm. this is something that I I still think in a lot of ways I'm, I very much have like the amateur mindset or the hobbyist mindset about things like the podcast and stuff. And I wonder what could I be doing to adopt a CEO mindset? So it's 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 it, I I love that question, and it's it's uh, think about it this way, you know. If you want to truly have a CEO mindset, you can't work in your business. You have to work on your business. Mm -hmm. If you're working in your business, you've already lost. Mm -hmm. so, so what I mean by that is think of your daily functions of, you know, I need to do I, I need to do it or it's something I must do and I must do now. It's something I can do or I must do later. So from a timing perspective or something I can outsource. And I think the best CEOs on the planet, they're, I use the word outsource, but in this case, we could use the word delegate. Mm -hmm. they, they understand how to delegate and outsource magnificently, right? Yeah. Because they know in order to get the whole ecosystem moving forward toward the same common goal, they can't themselves go, you know, uh, you know if you're building and, and reconstructing a home, you can't paint the walls, you can't hang the pictures. You, like there's <laughs> some things maybe that are, couple minutes of your time that you can do but you shouldn't do mm -hmm. and the same goes for any company that you're building right so for you specifically brendan you know might ask yourself how much time are you investing in podcast prep podcast editing podcast um uh you know posting podcast social media promotion there's all these just facets of the podcast let's say yeah it as one up. of your lines of business yeah mm -hmm. it adds up you're, you're darn straight so like one thing, you know, cause obviously, um, I, I have a podcast as well. One thing we've employed is outsourcing some of those functions strategically to other people that, you know, we've either brought on, um, you know, to partner with us or, or to, you know, for hire. Nice. And even though there's an investment on it, my time, our time is our most precious asset. Mm -hmm. It is. So you just have to do a quick cost benefit analysis on, hey, if I was to outsource this function, um, you know, what would this, you know, what would we, we be looking at, right, uh, mm -hmm. from a financial perspective? And, uh, and, then, and then obviously the benefit, hey, if I outsource this, how much time do I get back? What could I do with that time? Yeah. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you could probably start another business. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, another another thing too that I, I think about as we're talking about this is also when you when you put in cost benefit terms, there are some tasks that I think I have sort of an energy cost. Like there are some tasks that I find yeah. kind of draining, 
But then there are other things like prep that I love. Like I, I would never, or I can't imagine, at least at this point, you know, um, hiring someone to read a guest book and go through their TED talk or whatever, and then kind of give me the highlights because I, I love to get to know the guest and to kind of fall in love with them. And I love, I love it when like somebody sends me an advanced copy of a book or like you sent me like a personal, like signed copy and I get to really interact with their work. So that's something that lifts me up in a special way, but you know, the like loading it up to a, you know, a distribution platform and then waiting for the, the bar to move. Um, that takes, takes my energy away and I, I'd rather be doing something else. So another thing to keep in mind and definitely the, the financial cost benefit and the value of my time. Um, thank you for, for putting that all in a new light for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, um, just to kind of encapsulate that, that piece of it, you bring up another, um, element, which is, it's not just financial. Sometimes it is energetic. Mm -hmm. There's, there's an energetic element of it. So one of my, um, master's professors at Pepperdine, uh, named Van Caesar, you know, he wrote a book called high High achievers guide to happiness, which Mm -hmm. is also referenced throughout my book, right? I took some of the excerpts from that, um, and integrated that within my book. And, you know, he talks a lot about the, what or who fills you up and, and what or who, uh, you know, drains you. Right. Mm. And, and it's pretty simple math, right? Like, it's like, if, you know, talking to, you know, your mom, you know, is a draining activity, then, then you have to adjust and you call mom and you say, mom, I love you. You know, I just want to set the, the, the table for this conversation. Mom, I want you to know, I love you. You mean the world to me. Uh, but I'm right in between meetings. I have a f- five minutes, so let's let's have a, a beautiful five minute discussion, right? Mm. So you're setting a tone and a tempo and, and with posture, if you will, that you're adjusting. Hey, this person or this thing makes me feel this way, and you're adjusting it so you can say, Hey, I can still involve myself with those people or those those activities, but you just have to set parameters around it, right? And mm-hmm. so for you. I loved your example because it's like, Hey, if something fills you up, those are the things you want to do more of. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, so maybe you're really speaking to some of your, your gifts in life, mm. um, and your specialization. Mm. Um, so, so keep that in mind as well. Right. Like those are the things we're designed to do is stuff that naturally makes me feel good or makes you feel good. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And so if, if I see something that I want to tackle, but I'm not the boss, how would I go about taking the initiative? Well, there's, there's again, there, it, the, the simple answer is it depends. But here's my personal opinion on the matter. You know, right. beg for, for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is as long as contractually you're not under some breach of agreement or contract, which I know some organizations have, like, hey, it's super strict. And if I do something outside my work, they can sue me and whatever. As long as you're not dealing with that, which I don't know too, again, too many organizations and companies that are putting those type of policies in place within their employee handbooks today mm-hmm. because of everything we're talking about, right? Yeah. And employee satisfaction, life satisfaction, whatnot, uh, then j- just go for it. Just mm-hmm. be ethically guided in that, you know what, this company is paying you. They're paying you for, for your time, for a certain amount of time to achieve a certain objective uh, or certain objective sets. As long as you're doing what you believe is necessary to do that, 
there is a certain uh, threshold that gets met where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing way more than I should be doing. And again, some of that time should be reinvested back into something that's a personal project or, or as I love what you call it, side hustle, which I sometimes reference it as, that'll bring, bring me greater passion as mm-hmm. well, right? So that's how I would recommend to go about it. Um, because typically, especially in corporate context, if you ask for permission on something like what we're talking about, it's going to cause a red flag. Yeah. It's going to cause a big, you know, uh, you're going to ruffle a bunch of feathers mm-hmm. and then you might actually get fired from it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, my personal opinion is just be kind of not covert and secretive, like, Hey, I'm doing something wrong, but just, you know, be, poli- be mindful, I guess, mm-hmm. be mindful that, Hey, like, don't post about your, you know, if you're big on social media, don't post about your personal business during your quote unquote work business hours. Right. Like, that's just being stupid. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that answers my follow up question, too, then, which was going to be how do you cut through the red tape in an organization? But I think I think what you're getting at is that you, you just do the best you can ethically and, and produce the result and then show it rather than trying to get everybody bought in. Yeah, I, I again, I'd rather have a um, a gift already gift wrapped. I, I picked out the paper. Yeah, I picked out the gift wrapping. I've got the label on it. I've got the to and from. I signed it. It's the perfect gift. I put a little bow on it. Ooh, it's the perfect ribbon for that for that too. And just hand deliver it to him and say, here you go, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it's and it's like my dad used to teach me. He's like, yeah, son. Like so, for example, growing up. You know, it's not as big anymore with LinkedIn, but, you know, handwritten or uh, not necessarily handwritten, but typed up, you know, letters of recommendation or testimonials. You know, this is sort of pre-emergence of LinkedIn. And my dad was like, listen, no one in their their right fucking mind is going (laughs) to take the time to write your recommendation letter for you. So think and put yourself in their shoes. Think about what you did and what you accomplished at that organization that they can you know, uh, ethically sort of say, yeah, you know what? I can endorse that. Mm -hmm. Do it on their behalf, hand deliver it to them and say, Hey, is this something you're comfortable with? Right. Mm. Are you comfortable with endorsing this? If there's anything you're not, let me know. We'll take that language out. No problem. But, but, you know, going that extra step to make it super easy. And so that's the same with what we're referring to about, Hey, just taking care of your business, hand delivering, you know, your, your gift wrap, you know, present or, or package of, Hey, I met all the objectives, right? Mm-hmm. What, what are they going to be upset about? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, I wish I'd talked to you sooner. I, I told, I told another guest too, this, this guy I mentioned before, Steve, that, you know, this podcast and me doing this started as sort of an internal project when I was in the Navy. And, uh, but oh, before really? I started, I was, I got, all the checks and all the people signed on and went through all the bosses. And what I could have done looking back now was just take an action. I just recorded one good yeah. episode, showed people the sample, and the ball would have been rolling already. So uh, th- thank you for sharing this. I hope people who are thinking of something like that will hear that message and, uh, and start taking action. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. And, and you know what, listen, we live and we learn. So, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, hammer yourself or something that's in the past, right? Yeah. But, but all you can do is learn and grow from it. And that's part of why I do what I do. And I know why you do what you do is to, to share it on. It's like, we're kind of sharing on our, 
our journey and a lot of it's our failures by the way like hey, <laughs> totally the, the fuck the, the 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 fucked up stuff that we've done along the way that that it's like hey <laughs> you know uh you know i want to share this on for others so they don't you know go through that hardship that i did and mm-hmm. and they can sort of you know expedite some of those uh obstacles if you will so yeah absolutely um justin one one organization that you highlighted in particular in your book is patagonia what can we yeah. learn from Patagonia? Patagonia, uh, what I like to secretly refer to as Patagucci, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that in, a, oh, they're super expensive. I mean that they have found, uh, I think Tom's, by the way, has done this as well. There's some mm-hmm. organizations out there um, that have uh, that have done this where they have found this secret sauce of figuring out what makes humans and in particular their employees tick so they do a marvelous job of they know their market they know it cold and 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 they don't try to be everything to all people they they know exactly who they're catering to and that's what they do and they do it well Mm -hmm. right so uh another example along those same lines that it would be uh, to me would be lululemon yes I, i i love lululemon right i wear a lot of their products, but they don't, they're not in the business of being in commodities business of we're going to mass produce clothing and you know, whatever they know their clientele is active. They're by and large healthy. They know that they're going to come in and they're going to shop. Like for me, I'm not going to come in and buy a whole store because I mean, shit, it's very expensive stuff, first of all. But second of all, because when you buy a piece of Lululemon, you're not buying like the whole line, you're like buying something that's like, Ooh, this is a unique piece that I will wear for this type of occasion. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Patagonia does the same thing, right? Obviously, you know, rock climbing and outdoor lifestyle type of gear and just the whole brand that they've built mm-hmm. sort of envelopes that, um, that person, that persona, if you will, of, of qualified buyer oh, um, yeah. and partner for that matter. Yeah. I think with, with either one of those, uh, a customer comes to mind. Like I can picture the dude who's been out hiking and he's wearing his Patagonia hat at the brewery late in the evening. I can yep. see at Lululemon, you know, in my neighborhood, there's a Lululemon right next to a soul cycle. And I can see yep. the ladies coming out of soul cycle and going straight into Lululemon and picking up something cute. You can, you can picture them right away. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what those organizations have figured out. And that's why I think they're, you know, immensely valuable companies right they not might not be netting the highest you know uh, on uh, or be you know um you know hundred billion dollar companies or whatever publicly traded on you know new york stock exchange or whatever but these are companies that have built to me built it right and they built it with the right foundation going back to some of our original conversation on the right culture yeah of, of figuring out what is their mission their purpose what do they stand for Building out, by the way, which many organizations don't, unfortunately, what is your, you know, ESR, your environmental social responsibility? What is your CSR? What is your corporate social responsibility, right? These organizations care about not just profit. They're not just motivated by profit. They're motivated by leaving the planet a better place than when they found it. Justin, if people want to get more of these kind of insights from you about business culture and such, where should they look for you online? Yeah. Uh, so the best way is through my website and it should be pretty easy to find. So if you just 
go to my last name, which is Nimmergood. N is in Nancy, I M is in Mary, E R G O O D dot com. Um, I'm probably one of the only, if not the only, you know, Nimmergood still out there and about <laughs> other than my immediate family. So Nimmergood.com. You can learn more about Nimmergood Ventures, uh, all the projects, all the different lines of service that we offer. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some new ones that'll be coming forth here soon too, which, uh, I'll just kind of tease the audience with, but we have mm -hmm. some new business lines that are going to be opening here soon as well. All right. And I'll be sure to put that in the, uh, show notes and description and everything too, so that people can check there as well. If, if they lost you on the spelling or anything. Yeah, great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brennan. It's cool. been an absolute pleasure today. You, uh, thank you for, for taking the time and, and having me on here. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you on our, ours as well here soon. Our uh, podcast as well. would love to, you know, return the favor. That's what it's all about, right? It's just kind of building your network and, you know, continuing to pay it forward, right? I'd, I'd be honored. But Justin, I, I do have one more question for you if you got a minute. Sure. Okay. Sure. Well, here's, here's my final question. How can a leader encourage a culture that has more entrepreneuring? So I would say it starts with the right, the right, um, the right leader that's actually modeling the way. Mm -hmm. So leading from the front. Um, I, I once, you know, learned from one of the leaders that uh, mentored me uh, that a good leader, uh, you know, models the way, uh, and and then everyone else because they're drawn to them, they will they will follow the way. And that's an oversimplified way of saying, do the right things and do the right things to others and good things will happen, right? So in my opinion, if you're a entrepreneur or if you're trying to, again, foster this culture of entrepreneurs in your organization, the first is you got to you gotta act it and behave it. You got to embody it yourself mm. as a leader of that company or that organization. And then second You've got to put the right the uh, people, process, and technology in place that's going to foster those individuals. You can't just talk about it, and you can't just be about it. You also have to make sure that if you're trying to foster um, a culture of entrepreneurs, make sure they have the right technology. You know, whether it's you know Apple products or whether it's other products, depending on your your line of business, right? That's going to allow them to flourish mm. as an entrepreneur, right? You can't give them a bunch of old analog radios, you know, in a high tech environment and expect them to flourish. It doesn't work. It's mm -hmm. misaligned, mm -hmm. right? Um, that you have the right processes in place so they don't run into roadblocks when they come up with great ideas and ways to add value to the organization. And that the people, right? The people matter. It's like Howard Schultz said, it's not about the coffee, it's about the people. Mm -hmm. And you know, you as the leader of that organization have to be the embodiment of what the culture of that brand should be. And, and funny enough, in my career, Brendan, whether it's by sheer luck or, or, or what, but when I do that myself, I find myself, it's like people start popping into my life that I never expected that are just a great representation of the culture that I am actively building. And why is that? Because I'm representing it. Hmm. So I, I know if that's held true for me, I am confident it will hold true for others. 
Um, I have plenty of examples of it that I could share for, for days, but for that's the purposes of this final question, I would just say embody it yourself, put the right processes in place, um, make sure they have the right technology and platforms and things to be successful and, and, and make sure that you're, you're vetting the qualified talent in the marketplace accordingly. So you're picking, cause it's not just who picks you. It has to be a mutual value exchange. Make sure that there's a, a synergistic effect, right? Mm. There's a vibe with them to you, and there's a vibe with you to them. And I tell you what, you're you're going to be set for explosive growth, you know, with your entrepreneurs within your organization. Beautiful, Justin. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Brendan. This was an absolute pleasure and 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, I really love the format and keep doing what you're doing. You are um, absolutely out there inspiring. Um, you know, a wave of leaders out of the marketplace that is much needed. So um, continue doing what you're doing. It's really, it's much needed. Everybody, that was Justin Nimmergood, author of Entrepreneurship, Changing Business Culture from the Inside Out. And if you want to help us get more great guests like this on the show, then the best thing you could do for us is to give us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Those reviews make a huge difference. So please do that. And we'll catch you next time.